Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dotchis-Marmette. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hey, Stephanie, can you believe that the average mass-produced bottle of wine can contain up to 16 grams of added sugar? I know, that's crazy. That's more than a glazed donut. Oof, she kind of grosses me out. But anyway, we're so excited because we finally found clean crafted wine that we enjoy, that tastes good, and we don't feel like crap the next day. I am loving these Scout and Cellar wines. We've tried several of the different types and all of them taste good, like Marnie said. And we love the fact that there's no added sugar. They're free of chemicals and pesticides. They're grown with organic grapes and sustainable farming practices. And they have very low sulfites, which are one of the things that can often cause the headaches the next day. And, you know, it's summertime, it's patio season. It's so nice to just get outside. If you enjoy having a glass of wine, um, we are super excited to be part of Scout and Cellar. And we do have our online shop. So you just head on over to www.scoutandcellar.com. That's S-C-O-U-T-A-N-D-C-E-L-L-A-R.com slash the art of living well. You can have clean crafted wine delivered to your door. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Art of Living Well podcast. We are thrilled to bring you today's guest, Dr. Karen Pasco, who is a licensed psychologist, addiction counselor, and experienced registered yoga teacher, as well as an Ayurveda yoga specialist. Karen began working as a personal trainer while pursuing her master's degree in counseling, where she saw how exercise improved her clients' moods, thoughts, and disposition. Karen began teaching yoga in 1996 at a health club where she was the fitness director and personal trainer, well before it was mainstream. The feedback from her students complemented what she saw in them. Her students were getting more physically fit and reporting improved moods and mental abilities. And she saw firsthand that yoga was having a positive impact on their lives. Karen worked as a therapist in a hospital in New York City, where she began treating individuals recovering from mental illness as well as substance abuse. In this role, she began incorporating a mind-body approach by offering cardio groups and yoga classes in addition to the standard group and individual therapy. Karen continued her education, earning her doctorate, while continuing to teach yoga throughout the Denver metro area and working as a therapist at a drug and alcohol treatment center. Karen and I go all the way back to freshman year of college, and in fact, I think we met during orientation or at the very latest during that first week of school, and we instantly bonded over our love of music, Birkenstocks, and plaid flannel shirts, as well as group fitness. 
Karen started teaching step aerobics, and I actually had my brother make me a wooden box that we would carry from our dorm room to class. I have so many fond memories of being with Karen um, just in the dorm rooms as well as taking spring breaks together. And then post-college, we went our separate ways and really only staying in touch through Facebook until the last few years. So it's no surprise to me when I learned in 2014 that Karen had opened Mind Body Life Alchemy, which is a holistic wellness center in the Denver area, which intertwines practices of mind and body therapies. And I was fortunate a couple years ago to see her studio. Marty and I just loved our conversation with Karen. We dove into many important topics relating to anxiety and depression, specifically in the teen tween age group and how her studio offers amazing and much needed services that are now, many of which are now online. Karen dives into how our thoughts drive our emotions and behavior and what tools people can use to calm their mind. These topics are even more relevant during times of crisis. And Karen has so much experience working with teens and tweens and her unique skill set to address the mind-body perspective and integrating psychology, yoga, and Ayurveda is really powerful. Karen shares how she works with the parents of teens and tweens to help them better understand their children and their innate differences. And most importantly, she equips them with the strategies and tools they need to help their child manage through their anxiety and depression. So with that, let's dive into our conversation with Dr. Karen Pasco. Hi, Karen. Um, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, I just remember the last time we talked, it was two years ago, and I flew out to Denver with some other college roommates, and I, gosh, we hadn't seen each other in probably over 10 years, but I, I got to see where you live now and your space, and of course, we got to go to the mountains, and you showed us all around Vale, and now we're here, you know, at the time, I didn't even have a podcast, so thank you. I know. It's fun that our careers have this parallel line to them, you know, that we can merge and in certain points on health and wellness and talk about that. I know. I remember like you picked me up from the airport and literally our careers, both of them had changed since the last time we'd seen each other, probably 10 years before that. And we just talked nonstop, right? Like we, basically it was just the two of us at the time because I don't think the others would have appreciated our conversation, but. No, not to mention I drove you from the airport straight to Red Rocks because we needed a hike because you had been on a plane. (laughs) That's awesome. And then I literally, yeah, we were, you know, when you order food like the way we do, and we went to her favorite place to eat right next to her studio, and she orders this, like, add that, less of this, more of this, you know, something on the side. And I said, and I'll just have what she's having. And I was like, oh, I've like, it's like I found, you know, my soulmate or something. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, thank you for joining us because we are really excited to share about you and all the great work you're doing. I think this, you know, especially with teens and tweens and mental health, it's so important um, in particular right now. So so with that, maybe we can just start out. You can share a little bit about your background and your own health journey and how you ended up as a therapist. Um, So my background and health journey might kind of be the same answer. As a teenager myself, uh, I fell into bouts of depression and the only thing that really, and it was a different time, you know, it was, everything was handled differently back then. Um, 
but the only thing that really helped me was exercise. And I knew that it, it was pretty clear and evident that if I did take care of my fitness, if I did go out for runs and, and I like to, I like to exercise. And at that time, step aerobics was becoming a thing and there was a place that I could do that. And so I started doing that. And that was really the best, most effective thing for my depression. And so just internalizing that awareness, when I went to college, my goal was to double major in psychology and exercise science. And I did major in psychology. I was shy of a minor in exercise science, but continued to pursue that. Um, during college, I got certified as a personal trainer and started working our senior year in that capacity and then went right into a master's program in counseling um, out of college and just continued to follow those two paths simultaneously and they continuously in interwove. Um, so my first kind of job in interrelating those two was in weight loss counseling because it was just a natural fit to attend to the psychological and emotional needs of someone who's trying to lose weight and then also have the capacity to give them exercise programs and help them do those, uh, the accountability is so huge with that. So, and then I just kept going. Right about that same time, um, yoga, so like I'm talking 1996 now. And so yoga had just begun to move into fitness studios. And I was the fitness director of a health club and the owner came to me and he said, hey, there's this thing called yoga um, and we need a class and you're gonna teach it. And my course first response was, but I'm not flexible and I think that's stretching. So he's like, I don't know, figure it, figure it out. So I did. Um, and I took one class and I was expected to teach within the next week. So I got a DVD, not a DVD, I got the other one, the VHS. I got a video cassette. <laughs> and You're really a dating us, Karen. I know. Well, I said 1996. So <laughs> the reality of those times, a book from a bookstore that you could still walk in and a VHS. And I just read and practiced and rehearsed and thought of things. And I absolutely fell in love with it because it was different than other fitness in the moment of moving through your body in that mindful way, where a lot of times what exercise was for me was a distraction. I was outside myself. I was disassociating almost from the things that were leading to depression and anxiety had creeped in at that time too, which it often does for most people. And the yoga was the opposite. It was tuning into this in a different way where it was no longer scary. I could sit with these things. I could be still with these things that used to seem to overwhelm me. And so I just kept going with all those directions. I had no intention of abandoning the fitness. I love exercise. I love cardio and weights and it just, all that feels good. But the yoga had something just was innately integrating the two things I was trying to combine. And so I just kept going. Any book, video, anything I could get my hands on. I didn't start doing trainings till about 2000. Um, yeah, I think about 2000, I did Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy training because that was uh, naturally integrating those two in more of a counseling capacity. And then did any training I could get um, and just kept pursuing. And so my health improved because if you're practicing all this stuff, you're changing. And then my skill set was improving, so I was able to offer it to those that I worked with and dabbled in a lot of things. Um, you probably also know I'm a licensed addiction counselor, so that's always something that kind of just came along with it, and that was just more of an opportunity thing. Those jobs were available, um, and because that is such a physiological dysregulating situation to have an addiction, my skill set was useful there as well. 
Um, and so I just worked in a lot of environments. And then finally, in about 2014, I realized I, I can't really work for someone else anymore. I really need to have my own space to make this look exactly the way I feel it would be most useful for people. And so I had left my job of seven and a half years where I was just functioning as a psychologist and addictions um, specialist and uh, opened this place. And are you seeing patients or clients, you know, one-on-one -on -one in this space or is it, I guess, maybe tell us a little bit about your studio to start with and the services and the programs you offer and how you work with your clients. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm still a psychologist. So most people come to me for anxiety or depression, and those are my two specialties. And so during the day, I have a schedule that is of individual appointments. I see adults, teens, and tweens. I usually start about nine or 10, nine, age nine for classes, age 10 for individual appointments. Clues just has to be a developmental capacity to be able to really make this useful. They have to be able to integrate what mm -hmm. we're trying to accomplish here. Um, and so I see folks individually um, throughout the day. We also have a full schedule of classes. We, my, my business, my studio does function as a yoga studio open to the public. And so it's not like someone has to come in here that wants to particularly work on something to do the classes. They're, they're for everyone. Yoga serves everyone in a variety of ways. Um, and then I do have specialty classes for tweens age nine to 12, and then also for 12 to 14, which is really trying to target simply, uh, specifically middle schoolers, because that's its own beast. Mm -hmm. And for I, sure. I want to keep them together and you know help them in their own unique ways. Um, and then 15 and up, I encourage to come to the regular classes, although in the summers, um, although this summer of course is different as it is for so many reasons, um, I always have a teen specific class. So, and I let that, it's 13 and up um, just because the kids are out of school and sometimes teens are still hesitant to practice because the classes do look like it's, you know, they're practicing with their moms and their mom's friends and things like that. So I do offer a teen specific class in the um, summer. And yeah, so appointments, um, classes, I do a lot of workshops, um, I do camps in the summer. Are you seeing clients virtually? Currently, yes, um, by way of Zoom, uh, due to the COVID situation, um, when that all started, um, I switched everything over to online. And will you, are you willing to see um, people out of state, just out of curiosity, like already in my head, I'm like, oh, I could send this person to you and I could send this person to you. Yeah, you know, I had never considered doing any kind of video conferencing for these appointments because um, the space that I created is part of the effect. Mm -hmm. um, my studio is just lovely and, you know, there's soft music, there's always aromatherapy going, the lighting choices, the color choices, everything is designed very specifically to create the effect for people to come in and feel good. And so I felt like that would be lost under video conferencing appointments. Um, I have found out it is not. Um, I, I feel it's very successful to do the video conferencing. So that does, it's just unique that that did open the gate for people that could never actually come to my physical space to be able to take advantage of this mm -hmm. approach to anxiety and depression if they can't find it locally. And especially because people need it so much right now. Like, like there are just 
I feel like it's kind of skyrocketing with everything going on. And to be able to find someone that you connect with and you have that nice rapport with, and even if they're not in your same city is a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's, it's been a little gift as a result of sh- making this shift. I do like, look forward to having people back in here. But yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I can now see anyone that wants to be seen. And it's, you know, it's another silver lining. And I think too, with, with your online yoga classes that you've started, and I just did one, like I said, this morning, then people can kind of get to know you even through your yoga classes too. I mean, you don't get to know them necessarily, but they can kind of get a little bit feel for you um, indirectly to start to and, like establish a relationship. Yes. And I feel that that's so important. You know, when I work with someone, I have a free initial consultation. It's a 30 minute appointment and it's free because there, you have to feel a connection with the person you're going to do that work with. And it's so um, important because I have people that come in and they said, you know, I did therapy here or there and it just didn't, it didn't work. It didn't fit. And I, I get that. So the person you're going to work with ahead of time. And so on those yoga videos that I have, um, and I'll be adding more and more to that. And this next week is going to be specialized stuff. So you'll see the strategies for anxiety and the strategies for depression go up there. They get a flavor. Is my personality any, anything they want to be around? Is it the style or the approach for them? So that will give a kind of satisfy that initial gut feeling if this is right. Exactly. And can you talk a little bit and explain how the therapy that you do and maybe incorporating the yoga is a little bit different than more traditional. So you talk a lot about this integrative mind-body therapy. What exactly does that mean? I think a lot of people understand what therapy is loosely, but maybe talk about specifically how you integrate um, this and just dealing with the anxiety and depression, which are your specialties. Sure. Yeah. So anybody that has anxiety, and not just necessarily as a disorder, anybody that's had a significant episode of the anxiety can quickly identify what criteria they use to say, I'm anxious. And they can probably discuss the thoughts that they were having, usually something like worry and fear and overwhelm and those kinds of things. But they can also quickly identify the fact that their heart rate was up, that they felt uneasy in their body. They may have felt restless. They may have felt um, claustrophobic. I mean, there's so many physiological things that are happening when someone is experiencing anxiety. And it's important if we want to resolve that anxiety that we're offering strategy and tool and counsel on both sides. And so we're dealing, I don't lose any of the cognitive behavioral stuff that psychology has offered. We have to understand how our thoughts affect our feelings, how thoughts drive emotion and therefore drive behavior and have some strategy to correct that where it's going to be more beneficial to us. But we also benefit our clients for anxiety if we're teaching them how to breathe and to physiologically regulate themselves, that nervous feeling, that overwhelm, that restless feeling. Yoga has amazing tools, both through poses, through pranayama, which is breathing, through meditation, through mudra, which is hand gestures, it's like hand yoga, Um, mantra, which can be similar to affirmation showing up from psychology, all of it. I just don't want, I, I feel that integrating these two is so much more effective and so much more efficient. And it's, it's simple to be able to offer these tools. So 
together and it's just going to help people feel better faster. Yeah, I, I love that. I completely, completely agree. T tell us about um, your work with the teens and the tweens. Like, how is your approach the same? Do you change it a little bit based on, you know, their age? What types of healing methods would you say you found most effective with the teens and the tweens? So there's definitely a developmental component to take into consideration. And some of it is just straight up cognitive development and what they can integrate and what they can um, understand and be able to process. Um, and so that's always taken into consideration. Uh, the younger ones, it's very, it's more practical. I'm not trying to offer philosophy and science and, and deep understanding unless the kid is interested, which is the other point. So there's the developmental stuff, but then there's just the uniqueness of that kid that's in front of you. And there's as much variation amongst tweens and teens as there is in adults. And so there's a personality component. You know, I have a lot of kids that come in and they, you know, they look at this like, what kind of foofy nonsense is this? Like, where am I? And, you know, so I, I want to attend to that, that, you know, okay, so this is a straightforward kid. I'm going to give science. Like I, I'm going to go right there so that they understand this isn't um, something weird or hippie or, you know, or anything like that, because it ultimately is anchored in science. And then there's some that kind of want the softer, almost more mystical side of it, you know, that it feels like magic. So let's play that up, you know, and we will talk more about gemstones and aromatherapy and things like that, and which are also still anchored in science. But, um, you know, you just, you attend to the developmental stage and then in the language choices and the word choices, and then you attend to the personality of that kid that's in front of you and trying to get a good match there because it's only gonna work if it works for that person. And so, so there's no cookie cutter, no broad strokes in any of this. What would you say are kind of the biggest stressors you see with the teens? It, again, it depends on the developmental stage and age of that teen. Um, probably the one and that's the most concerning right now which is just it's an unfortunate reality is lack of hope of what their future is going to look like um i can't tell you how many teens like really and they're not wrong i mean this is the, like you can't counter these statements that they're making um that they just environment they don't know what is available for them in the future um economic they don't know what job is going to provide what kind of lifestyle when the housing market is what it is. And a lot of them are very much aware of these realities for them that this next generation, the likelihood if the education costs stay the same and the job market stays the same, they will not be homeowners. You know, I mean, these things are just realities. And so that kind of hope is lost. And then that goes right back to motivation because how do we motivate a kid to push through when they can't see that that is going to come to fruition in any productive way for them. And so, okay, so take that and then translate that into some like psychological experience or even it's more, it's spiritual too. Like, how do I find meaning and purpose? How do I put any kind of drive to doing anything in my life? What, what's the point? And so that's something with especially the older teens that I see a lot and it is, it's very difficult. And what do you think is driving that? Is it sometimes like at home environmental stressors, meaning just like their family situation or maybe some sort of trauma or 
something that they've experienced or it's just out there in the world and what they see on social media. Yeah, those aren't typically trauma-driven um, responses. They're more day-to-day -day reality responses. So of course, social media and everything that they have access to and are exposed to. And that comes in a variety of ways, um, but also in their homes, you know, parents, you got to get good grades, you got to do good, you got to make money, you got to this, that, and the other thing. And it's kind of missing where that kid is in that moment. There is not a teen in the world that know, doesn't know this, you know? And so when the message is being hammered and hammered and hammered, we're just creating anxiety because we're just creating a state where they can't take any action to make those things happen any faster, any better. Um, and it's, it's parents' fear too, you know? I mean, I don't think parents ever do that for any other reason than out of fear and love, you know, they're afraid, they love their child, they want them to be successful, and they're afraid if they miss a moment of encouraging their kid to do better and more, that they failed their kid. But that's, that's not the reality. And that's, it's actually consequential. Right. And do you work with the parents then directly? Like if you're working with a teen in this situation, because some of it is working with them, obviously, but then there's probably a piece where, like you just said, you know, we need to back off a little bit as parents sometimes to not put that additional pressure on our kid. Yes. So more and more and more and more and more. Um, and I try, I, I can't force parents, you know, a lot of them just send their kids here and like, Hey, you, you fix it. Um, and I, of course I'll do my best, but, um, because the kids, the tweens, teens live with their parents, that's the primary influence of everything. And parents don't know what to do. And, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we always joke, there's no owner's manual, like you've got your kid. And a lot of times they don't understand their kid because their kid might be quite different than they are or was different than they were raised. And they're trying to enforce this way of uh, being, way of communicating, way of punishing, way of parenting. And it's a total mismatch for the kid they actually got. And so um, <laughs> I do... As I'm talking to parents, you know what I'm talking about? And, and you guys like, you have three kids each, right? Or two kids each. Like, so, you know, not, not, you don't parent each kid the same. We have to be so responsive as parents in that way. But um, so, yeah, I try to get them to come in. I can't make them. I do have a parent consultation um, that is very successful over Zoom, too. And it really, it's not judgmental. It's never telling them they're doing a bad job. If anything, I'm going to highlight everything that they're doing well. And especially because if they even contact me, wow, thank God you love your kid. You're willing to put your ego aside to help this kid out. Um, and I think that's fantastic. But I also do parent workshops and they've been very successful. I'm trying to get it online um, where they could just download it, you know, like just go like a, like a training kind of yeah, thing to just get something that. to the information. But again, there's such an advantage to having that in the moment interaction where they can say, but what about my kid? Cause my kid shows up like this and I, I want to be able to attend to that stuff. Um, so I've done them in purpose person. I think I've done four so far and they've been very successful and I plan on doing more because I want parents to have these tools too. Like if they get a kid that's so anxious and and I'm just using casual terms here, but it's how people talk about it, freaking out about something. I want that parent to have like three strategies right in their back pocket, boom, boom, boom. All right, just pause, sit down, take a breath, breathe in through your nose, breathe out through a beak, you know, make that pursing lip thing and just start to cool down, calm down. We don't have to do anything about this right now. 
we just need to get regulated, you know, and just so that it empowers the parent to feel like they're doing something and they have something to help what they're seeing. I mean, that, that's so needed, Karen. I hope yeah. you can find a way to bring that online. And I think that could be a great funnel then for one-on-one. -on -one. You know, you could do a course and then you can work with people one-on-one -on -one if they need to. And I think right now with this current situation, I mean, I guess any learnings you have or anything that you're seeing that's different with your clients, teens or adults right now and what you, like as we come out of this stay at home and hopefully when people are listening to this, they're able to um, leave their homes a little <laughs> bit more. Um, you know, what do you see us all, teens in particular and even adults needing and what can we start to do or any tips that you have? And also just to add on to that, what as a parent, how can we support our teens? Like, what can we do to support them better through this? Well, it's not, what's happening right now with the COVID and the lockdown and all these changes is not changing your teen necessarily. Like you're probably still seeing a presentation of that teen just under these conditions. And so a kid, and I'll, I'll touch base on the Ayurveda stuff here, um, a kid that's of Pitta, disposition. Um, Pitta is one of the dosha types in Ayurveda that's primary element is fire. And so that's a kid that under stress, their response is going to look more like anger, agitation, defensiveness, those kinds of things. You're, you're still going to see that. It's just mm -hmm. going to be a contained version under these circumstances. So when you say, no, you can't go get close to your friends, they're going to be angry. They're going to yell at you you know, they're going to do those things. And so you still would respond to that type of kid in that way, cool down, calm down, air out, give space, you know, those kinds of things. And then if you have a kappa kid, which is primary elements of earth and water, those are the kids that look more depressed anyway. They're the ones that don't want to leave the basement. They're always on their video games. They're totally tuned out. They could sleep for 15 hours a day. Um, you know, you're seeing that too under these conditions. And so you would still respond. If you're trying to go military style with that kid, you're pushing them farther and farther down, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, and then if you've got a Vata kid, which is primary elements of air and space, those are your kids that are super anxious. So the ones that are freaking out, those are the ones that everything looks like chaos and overwhelm. And so you're still seeing that. So they're the ones like, I have so many assignments. I don't know how to do it. I don't know if I'm gonna get it all done you know, for online school and things like that. So you're still trying to ground that kid, not in a punishment way, but in a soothing way, uh, kind of center them, just the next one thing. The only thing you have to do is just the next one thing. You don't have to do all that. You can't do all of that. And adding all those strategies. So it's not like this is changing the teens or anything, or that the parent would have to really do too much different. Really still what we're trying to accomplish is getting people to understand themselves and their unique dispositions and, and qualities, getting them to understand their kids' unique dispositions and qualities so there can be a healthy communication match, something that's gonna be productive, something that's gonna be beneficial rather than the clashes where you've got mm -hmm. a pit of mom and a pit of son and they are just like fire, 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 you, 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 do, 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 and now we don't like each other. <laughs> I feel like you're speaking to me a little bit, Karen. 
Um, Stephanie, I'm speaking to everyone, including myself. It's not like I'm like, you know, exempt from this just because I know stuff. I got a Vada kid and I got a Pitta kid. I do things completely different for them. Their needs are completely different. Um, and I have to stay on my toes and it's exhausting. And I have a pretty solid toolkit. <laughs> well, you started talking about the doshas and yeah. I know you're, you know, you, you've completed within the last couple of years, some additional training in Ayurveda medicine. And it's kind of like considered the sister science of yoga for yes. our audience who is not familiar with this, maybe just a quick kind of overview. I would love to, because I would love to have, um, and you know, when you sign up for these trainings to do Ayurveda and to bring it into the States, you know, you really are committing to trying to make this more mainstream and not this, you know, something that just came from India or just a sister science to yoga, really bring it in. Um, because it is so simple and basic. I mean, it's complex too, of course, and it's a deep dive, but, um, it's, it, every human has the stuff that Ayurveda is talking about. And so it's a great way to conceptualize and to understand um, it, it the, at the most core of these individuals. So um, Ayurveda is considered a sister science yoga. And the reason they say that is because it is believed to have originated about the same time that yoga did thousands of years ago, three, 5,000, no one really knows. Um, and also in India um, and where yoga is primarily about the mind and creating this union to actualize the mind and understand self, self-real, like self-realization on a higher level, Ayurveda offers a lot more in terms of the actual body that you're going to live in while you're here. And so Ayurveda uses yoga strategies for health and healing. So there's postures, there's pranayama, there's meditation, there's all kinds of stuff but adds in a very specific and strong emphasis on food and nutrition and how we are physically taking care of the body that we are living in here and how each individual's unique constitution or dosha prime driven by primary elements, fire, earth, water, air, and space um, kind of guide what's going to be best in terms of nutrition, what's going to be best in terms of um, meditation and physical practices, exercises, things like that, because it's not the same. If you've got a fire person and they're showing an imbalance in that, their skin is inflamed, they have crazy acne coming out in these red um, spots and they have heartburn and they have all this kind of pit of stuff, you're gonna want to not tell them to go exercise in the heat and burn it off. I mean, now we're just making things worse. You're not going to want them to have super spicy, pungent foods because we're going to aggravate all that and make that worse. And so Ayurveda offers that conceptualization of understanding the unique elements of that person, the disposition, which they call the dosha, so that you can see how the imbalances are going to show up and then you can respond productively and efficiently through food and exercise and meditation to create balance. Which I find so fascinating. I'm so interested in, I've dabbled in Ayurveda a little bit, but I am hoping at some point I can just become more and more educated on the topic because I, or the science or whatever you want to call it, because I, I just think it's so fascinating and interesting. And I love learning about how everything connects and it's really all about balancing, right? It's about finding that balance. 
it's about understanding your nature, understanding mm-hmm. just what is of you without judgment and being able to understand in a way that you can respond, how life is going to change that, how life is going to influence that. It's why one kid becomes depressed and one becomes anxious. You know, there's a natural disposition going on there. It's not genetics. I mean, there's, that could be an element too, but, you know, to just understand those natural tendencies of uh-huh. each individual and then have a, the strategy from Ayurveda and yoga to respond to that, to reestablish balance or to create health or wellness. You know, I mean, it, 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 the whole range is available through these practices. Right. You know, Karen, I'm sure you've done the little quiz and we will link this up for everyone in the show notes. So there's a very simple test or quiz, right? And you can figure out your dosha. And a lot of people fall not just within one bucket. You, you could be a mix. And so I'm a little, maybe you're a little bit more vata than pitta, but you have elements of both. And everyone kind of ends up having elements of all three when you go through this exercise. But I was thinking today, I was actually doing some my training and we were talking about this and I'm like, I want my, I want to do this with my kids. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I want to actually sit down with them and my husband, because I've done it several times myself and I've done it with clients, but I've never done it with my kids. And I'm actually thinking today I may have them do it. And then I think it's helpful for parents, I would think. Oh my goodness. So first of all, I use this with um, the older teens and of course, every adult I have, I want them to take the dosha quiz, the dosha assessment, and they're, they're online. The Chopra center actually has a really quick um, one that they offer for free. It's just available online and uh, it's a self-scoring one. It's not one you send in for scoring or anything. So you kind of just left there with the results, but um, I want everyone that has the developmental capacity to understand these things, to know this about themselves, because it's going to explain so much where they, I mean, I have a kid that um, has a lot of panic and a lot of anxiety, and she hates this about herself. And so she's super judgmental. She thinks she's broken. She thinks something's wrong with her. You know, those kinds of things where when she understands this is of your elemental constitution. So when you're under stress, this is what it's going to look like where your friend who's of this different constitution is always going to look like that or most likely going to look like that in the parenting workshops this is the first thing we do the parent takes it for themselves so they understand their constitution and then they take it for whatever kid they're thinking about the most we don't have time to do the whole family that'd be great but wow that'd be a lot so um i have them pick the kid they're thinking about the most for the reason they're showing up for that workshop and then that way i can use that data to go back and forth so this is why you have these kind of arguments this is why when you communicate this way you send your kid into a hole and they don't do anything or they run and you don't see them until after midnight you know so they have an understanding and then they can use that to adjust their communication, adjust their parenting, adjust their interventions. And with the youth, especially, you know, because we're talking about the Ayurveda and the influence of food, the parents are still the primary food providers, typically in most households. And they can understand, you know, if they're offering all these certain kinds of foods, like take a pit up, for example, the fire um, element, primary one, they should not have any chemicals. You know, chemicals react to that so differently than the other dispositions. And so they're going to have the cystic acne. But then, you know, if the parent's not aware of kind of how these processed foods and all these chemicals are leading to that, and there's other factors involved too, they might quick head to the dermatologist and then take a medication where if we really did a root up adjustment, you might not even need that medical intervention. And then the other 
part of that is you're dealing with teenagers. Like I'm thinking about my teenage son right now. Like I can say to him, oh, you know, if you stop eating processed food, maybe your acne will go away or whatever it is. But then they, you know, have their own free will, especially if they're Pitta and they, they want to do what they want to do. Right. Yeah. They don't want to hear it from me. Yeah. You know, there's no guarantees, of course. You know, these are just tools to hopefully help influence um, it the best we can, you know, and everything is a system, right? So if we start working in and the mom's no longer grocery shopping, any kind of those processed foods, all of a sudden the only food that's in the house, you know, there's like ways to kind of weave this in. There's definitely ways to motivate and to get the buy-in. You know, for teenagers, social consequences are so much more important than health consequences. They still don't have the conceptualization that if they smoke cigarettes when they're 70, they're going to have emphysema. Like that is nothing, you know, that it doesn't register. But if they smoke cigarettes and they want to go kiss their significant other, they're going to be grossed out. They hurt you. You know, I mean, that's going to be like that kind of social consequence is something that they can actually relate to in the moment. And so we want to know that too. We want to understand what the motivations are so that when we want to adjust these things or help adjust these things for our teens, we're not communicating in something that's not effective. So uh, how, when you do this with your teenagers or the parents, are you giving them a, <clears throat> like a dosha related food list? Like, you know, if you're Pitta, here are the foods you should avoid. And if you're Vata, here are the foods you should avoid kind of thing. Or are you Yes. Yeah, so to some degree, I, I, I mean, I have my own handouts and things like that. And if someone's doing, um, I have a, it's called a holistic wellness Ayurveda consultation. And so it goes mind body and um, we use all the Ayurveda and do all that, but it's a little bit more into psychology too. Um, so I call it holistic wellness, but um in those kind of like consultations that I do, if someone's working with me just on that kind of stuff, I provide all the resources they need. If it's more of a parent consultation and this is a tiny piece, you know, I might refer them to seek the resources because mm -hmm. fortunately there's good stuff out there and it's very accessible. That so I might just send sense. them over to, um, you know, who does a really good job um, is Banyan Botanicals. If you go on their website, mm -hmm. it's a company, but okay, you know, yeah, they're great. They have so many resources. So I constantly referring people over to those websites. And Karen, could you maybe share an example of how the therapies and how you work with teens um, have really, you know, really helped someone like maybe just a particular person, obviously not naming names or anything. Oh, of course. And you've already touched on this, but just so parents can understand like how engaging their kid in this type of therapy early on, especially, is really beneficial. Yeah. So um, let's take a kid with anxiety, for example. Um, I've had a couple, I'll go, I have one in mind, like a 12-year-old girl, and she, a um, lot of stuff going on in her life. Um, I don't want to give too many details because I don't know who's going to see this, but there was definitely a persistent anxiety disorder that was preventing her from going to school. She was, um, would get sick. And because with the youth, and especially the younger youth, the nine and 10, with anxiety, it's gonna show up in one of two ways, most likely. One, they're gonna have stomach aches and they're gonna have GI distress. Or two, um, it's gonna be headaches. So uh, she was a stomach ache kid. 
and just so uncomfortable. And these were legitimate symptoms that she was having because this is how it presents and how it manifests. And so through the work with her, you know, we did a lot with yoga strategies, a lot with breathing strategies, mantra, affirmation, aromatherapy. And so we created a toolkit. And so she was able to do things in the morning before school. She got up, she did sun salutations to, and she understood because when you practice a sun salutation with a kid, and if they haven't been doing this, and because you two both do yoga, you know that first like full sun salutation when you give time and breath to those movements and then you end it in mountain pose and you pause for a moment and I make them hold it for a minute to be there with it. This is the integration part, the awareness of the sensation. You immediately feel better. Like one sun salutation worked out so much physiologically that it's immediate feedback that did something and you can't deny it. No one can deny it. You just felt it. And so when they do that and they practice, they get the buy-in right there because they just felt it themselves. So they don't need someone to tell them this is going to work. They just felt it. And so she would practice the sun salutations in the morning. She would take her aromatherapy. She had affirmations and mantras written all over her stuff in school. So anytime she got that twinge of fear and nervousness. And these things come out of the blue. Cause if you ask the kid, what are you worried about? What's cut? I don't know. I don't know. They don't know. They don't know, you know, because it's that subconscious level of thought mm -hmm. it's happening, but they're not there with it. And so she had these skills and these repertoires and these practices and these strategies, and she felt very equipped. And so then over time, she never felt vulnerable. She knew she might get a stomach ache. She might feel worried. She might get nervous. She might have a difficulty with a friend or a teacher, but she had her tools and she's seen them work for her. She's practiced them. So she knows them work. And so that was it. It was like, it took about a year really. I mean, for all this and no more stomach absence, stomach ache absences. Oh, I love that. And so many people would just say here, take this medicine to deal with the stomach ache and never addressing the root cause of those. Oh, and especially symptoms. with the youth, you know, they are moving targets. And so if you try to treat one thing, one symptom, or even a cluster of symptoms, there's no expectation that that would even be the same or look the same because they're changing cognitively, they're changing physically, they're changing in their hormones. And so it's not going to hold up just because they're a moving target. But if you give them practices of themselves, of breathing. They always have to breathe. So why not learn how to breathe productively? They always have to move. They're going to have that body, even though it's going to change. If they learn this stuff, then they're just naturally adapting it as they're developing. And they needed nothing outside themselves. It was absolutely free. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I love hearing this, I think. And so many people are going to benefit from this conversation. And we need more of you around. You know, I'm just thinking even in the Twin Cities, and I'm sure there are people but locally, you know, I don't know of anyone else with the same studio that has this focus of for teens and the combination of the therapy and the, uh, the movement. So this is great. I have a feeling we'll keep going in this direction, you know, mm -hmm. um, and we don't want to overthink the yoga thing. I mean, I think it's, if you want to teach yoga, you, you, doing a 200 hour teacher training is really important. Um, you need some background and you need a foundation, but we don't want to also just make this so clandestine that we can't teach therapists how to teach breathing strategies or some simple movement strategies that they would feel comfortable and confident that they could keep their people safe and still offer. You know, we don't want to make it this like total 
out there thing. And so, you know, one of my plans is to be able to offer more of these kind of tools to all therapists. They don't feel like they have to take on a second career and a whole other expensive training situation, but still be able to use this stuff and feel confident in their use of it. You should definitely go check out Yoga Calm when you have a moment. I think you'd be interested in it because they do a lot of that. They train teachers and therapists and... I think that's great. I just, I hope we just do more and more of this because what the reality is, is this is we're going to be helping people so much more efficiently. And this can all be earlier interventions. Um, you know, there's good pushes too to get things in school. And I, I understand the blocks and barriers to that too. Sometimes it's just misconception of what yoga actually is. But um, the more we can get it around and available and used, we're just going to help people. Yep. So Karen, switching gears a little bit, when I visited your studio, yes. I was introduced to another one of your passion projects. Yes. Which, yes. It's all this the, beautiful The prettiest healing. of all my passion projects. Yes. Um, all this beautiful healing jewelry. And I'm, no one can see it now, but I'm wearing my beautiful model right now, which you've had to fix because I wore it so much that it, you had to like put a new tassel on. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, because I wasn't familiar with some of these um, up until a couple years ago and the stones and how they can help in the healing process? Yes. So um, gemstones are amazing and there's a lot written on the metaphysical properties of the unique different gemstones. Um, I love all that and I love to give descriptions of the stones in those metaphysical properties. Um, there's certainly a there's the psychology of color and so the different stones and their colors just kind of create feelings when you see them, when you interact with them, when you wear them. And so the way it came about is one of the strategies that I've always used for clients is priming your environment and priming your person. And so let's take an anxiety example again. If you're working with someone with anxiety, you're going to help them prime their environment. You're going to encourage them to simplify their environment, to get rid of clutter, to create an organized space because anxiety itself is chaos. And so if they're surrounded by chaos, they're going to continue to feel more chaos. So you prime your environment. You get, um, I would always have them get affirmations or mantras um, to put around like a post-it on the bathroom mirror that had a statement that calmed them down, that helped them center and ground. And one on their uh, alarm clock, wherever the first place they look when they wake up to set a tone for the day, to prime how they want to feel, which is the opposite of anxious. So, um, and then, so with the bracelets, it started with the aromatherapy bracelets because it was twofold. If I got them um, the right stone, so with anxiety, let's just take something simple like amethyst, which is the stone of serenity. Amethyst is known for its calming qualities. The purple color is very soothing. And so if they wore an amethyst bracelet, and then we put some lava stones on it too, which allowed them to apply aromatherapy to it, essential oils, they'd soak in that aromatherapy be all day. Now, while they're at school or at work or just interacting in their lives, they can look down at their wrist. They have that amethyst bracelet on. They can think about the stone and what it means and the qualities offer. They can take a deep breath and in inhale the aromatherapy from that. And now we're doing all this stuff to facilitate resolving anxiety, to create calm, to create serenity, to create peace. And maybe they even gave it a mantra. And so maybe they'll move the stones through their fingers and say their mantra over and over. So it primed their person because 
sometimes you're out of your environment. And even if that's all primed up to keep you calm, you might be in the car and well, that's not calm. So, you know, now you've got something on your person to help create it. And so it, that's how it started with the aromatherapy bracelets. Cause we could do the aromatherapy and the qualities of the stones to prime them. And then it went into the mala necklaces because this is like something I'm glad we got an opportunity to say it. Cause I, I'm trying to talk more about this to tell an anxious person to meditate and to develop a meditation practice is not wise. <laughs> telling someone whose mind is chaos to sit still with said mind and be there and hang out in an uncontrolled space. No, like that is a nightmare scenario for them. But to give them something very tangible to do for the meditation where they have the mala necklace in their hand, which is a string of 108 stones. And there's a lot of theory behind that. I'm not going into it now. And to hold a stone between their fingers, say their mantra, take a breath, and pass the next stone. Now we just anchored that anxious individual. Now we just took that chaos state and put it to a single focal point, something they can do, something they can feel where they can direct that chaotic energy into something. So that's a very productive meditation. And so it's a very productive practice too. And so the mala necklaces came about for that. And then just the kicker is they're just gorgeous. And who doesn't want to wear one? Well, I remember I walked in and I saw this one yeah. that I'm wearing. And I You're was like, that's mine. Those are my yeah. colors. That's my stone. And then when I read the card that you put with all these beautiful, beautiful pieces of jewelry, I was like, wow. It's like, this was made for me. So, so well, it was. I, I, I bought a mala necklace, not from you because I didn't know you at the time, but years ago. Um, it's the only one I own. It's very colorful and beautiful. And I started taking it with me every time I fly. And yes. it's funny because I'm not an anxious traveler and I'm not superstitious, but I kind of got into this like rhythm where I always had, I would wrap it around my wrist actually, usually yes. if they're necklaces. And I, now it's like every time I travel, this necklace comes with me. I don't wear it very often, but I always take it when I travel and I don't even know where that's coming from inside me, but it's just like this routine I'm in. <laughs> it's like, the and it's comforting to me. It Yes. I mean, even if you are an anxious traveler, there's no one that is like free from some anxiety while traveling. Right. It just provides opportunities for anxiety to flare. So um, having a tool like that with you, it is, it's very, it's very comforting. Um, the weight of the stones, the feel of the stones, um, you know, being able to move them through your hands. It just, it's a wonderful travel companion. I'm so glad you're using that that way and you got one, you know, I just, and people have spent a ton of money on these things, you know, it just really, it's worth having in their toolkit. Mm -hmm. And for the kids too, um, my, out of my two kids, one is a very anxious traveler. She doesn't like to fly. So when we do travel, and if we ever get to again, and this is over, um, you know, we've got a whole toolkit. We've got aromatherapy. We've got music. We've got, like, we just go through the five physical senses. We have mala necklaces. We have things to have in our hands and to touch and to draw the attention to those intense physical uh, sensations, something that they can do to distract from the chaotic mind. So as we start to wrap this up, how can people find you um, on social media, your website? How do you, yeah. how should people connect? Um, my website is a great 
landing place because then people can get a little bit more information about me and what I do and what I offer. It's also um, has links to my schedule. So if anyone does want to make an appointment, um, they can do that there uh, right from the website. Um, and of course, all my contact information is there as well and other ways to reach me. Um, my face, I have a Facebook page too, which is probably where I post the most stuff. Um, and that is uh, mindbodylifetc, facebook.com, mindbodylifetc. And same for Instagram. Instagram, I keep mostly just pretty stuff on there. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably see like, that's where you get to see, you know, the jewelry and um, stones. And I have all the little cards that go with the stones. Just fun stuff to read and to look at. Facebook is more where I communicate, where I put like, here's a workshop coming up. Um, you can sign up and, you know, here's what's going on. Um, here's some classes I'm offering. Here's something that just got loaded into our video library, you know, that kind of stuff. So Facebook is communication for me. Instagram is place to put pretty stuff. And then of course Great. my website is just a landing spot. Yeah, and I'm glad, I mean, it's unfortunate, obviously what we're all going through, but it's enabled you to pivot a little bit. And so more people from, our listeners that are from all over the world can get in contact with you and even do one-on-one -on -one therapy with you or do some of your yoga classes. So, or order some of this beautiful jewelry. So I'm yeah. grateful for that. And finally, one last question we'd like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? And there's no yeah. right or wrong answer. Sure. Yeah. So I feel that it, it's what comes from Ayurveda and that the art of living well is truly knowing yourself and understanding the unique qualities that make you you in terms of dosha and constitution and then being skilled enough to be able to align that with your life and the changes in your life and how it influences that natural constitution being able to align that with relationships and align that with work expectations align that with seasons and everything else that does influence us um, so the art of living well is knowing ourselves and being able to align with all that's around us i love that yes that's beautiful thanks it's from ayurveda <laughs> um. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. This is so fun. And until we get to see each other in person, I want to plan another trip to yes. Colorado because I love, I love the mountains. And I think it was on that trip two years ago, I realized you know, the mountains is like my happy place. And it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't somewhere I'd spent time at all growing up or even in my early 20s. But um, that trip with you really solidified it. So I, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely back. From, back. I agree. I, I'm jealous that you're in Denver and you can get to the mountains so easily. It's yes. And even just where I live right on the front range, being able to look at them on a daily basis. And it's just, I, I love it here. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. You're yeah. welcome. Nice to talk to you too. Take Have care. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. We are so excited that we created these fabulous new products for our listeners to support our podcast. Yeah, we have two new recipe books and one is curated for families. So there's lots of family friendly recipes that both kids and adults will love. I've made these recipes for my family and everyone enjoys them. And then we have a second recipe book for those that want plant-based foods and maybe you're 
already eating vegan, or maybe you're just trying to incorporate more vegetables and plants into your diet. They both have shopping lists and they're made with ingredients that you can find at almost any grocery store. You don't need to go to like a specialty store to find these ingredients. And we also created a Minneapolis Healthy Restaurant Guide and we're really excited about it. We wanna support our local restaurants and um, it's really meant for you to find little gems in town that maybe you didn't know about. It gives you a chance to eat healthy out in a restaurant. Um, the food is delicious at these places. They're sourcing local sustainable foods and we're just really excited to support our local healthy restaurant community. And then the last product that we created is our favorite Art of Living Well podcast water bottle. It's 24 ounces. You may have heard us talk about this on stories um, because it serves both hot and cold beverages. There's a straw, you can use it or use it without the straw and it's perfect for on the go at home, wherever, and it'll help keep you hydrated. So we'd love for you to try our products and support our podcast. As our listeners, you can head on over to our website, which is www.theartoflivingwell.us slash products and order yours today. Maybe even give one as a gift. And also just to let you know, we priced all of these products um, pretty low so that everybody could enjoy them. $7 per guide, $20 for the water bottle, and we'd love your support. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.